When I was a newly minted attending surgeon a few years ago, we had a patient come in who'd been in a car accident. His CT scan made it clear that he had a bowel injury, so we took him to the operating room. And when we got into the abdomen, we saw a big clot around the aorta, which seemed to be getting bigger. That's a situation where you really want a vascular surgeon around, so we called for the vascular surgeon on call. I'll be honest, I was pretty nervous. But soon the door opened and I heard the calm, competent voice of Dr. Gurma Tefera at my elbow, and I knew everything was going to be okay. From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, this is the surgery set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, a pediatric surgeon here. This is a podcast about the ideas, innovations, and innovators of surgery. Lately, the meaning of what surgery is and what it means to be a surgeon has been shifting under our feet. We had a few months of trying to figure out our role in the pandemic, and then just when that was starting to feel like a new normal, the ground shifted again with the death of George Floyd, the national protests, and the realization, new to some of us, very old to some of us, that our society has deep-rooted problems with racism that find their way into every aspect of our lives, including surgery. As the protests have played out, my first instinct was to step back to make space for the voices of black, indigenous, and people of color who needed to be heard in the moment. But as I and our whole department have started to think about our new, new normal, about how to be an anti-racist, about how to look inward and outward to try to help heal our profession and our society, I thought it was time to come back and to bring you that same calm, competent voice of Dr. Gurma Tefera. Not to tell us that everything's going to be okay, that's not a given here. But to tell us how to help. Gurma Tefera, thank you so much for joining us um, on the podcast to talk about yet another sort of world shifting problem. You know, we've been talking so much about the pandemic and COVID and right as it started to seem like we had our minds around that, George Floyd was murdered and and the world changed again. And so thank you for joining us to to sort of help offer some perspective on where we're at. Well, thanks for having me and clearly difficult times. It looks like difficulties are not ending. (laughs) There is more and more being added to it. The perspectives can be really, really wide and need probably days to cover them. However, I think we can maybe have some specific thoughts about about the situations in general and we can take it from there. So, uh, you know, first let me, um, you know, for those who don't know me, maybe briefly introducing myself. I do vascular surgery, so I'm a vascular surgeon and I've been here in Wisconsin for 20 plus years now. I am originally from Ethiopia where I grew up. I did my basic elementary and high school and then um, I spent most of my college and medical school, but has some specialty training in, in Europe, where I spent time in Italy and Germany before immigrating to the U.S. about 25, 26 years ago. You know, I have this perspective, which is a little bit different, just having lived in, in Ethiopia, which is in Africa, of course, and then in Europe and then now in the U.S. There are, therefore, perspectives for me, particularly when it comes to the race issue, which is, you know, difficult to continue to talk about it, but I'll just try to, in few uh, sentences or paragraphs, maybe summarize for you. So, you know, grew up in a country where everybody's the same, everybody's similar. So race is not an issue. 
And so someone like me, when I go and find myself in, in a country like Italy or in a country like Germany, I, you know, I will have difficulty in understanding when someone tries to behave racist because, you know, it's not something I've seen want. it before. Yeah. So, so I can tell you, although there were real racist things that people were showing when I was a student, it was not the first thing that would come in my mind. I might say, what's wrong with this person? What is this person trying to say or do? So this is to tell you, I think it's a, you know, it is not a new discovery. It's something learned, right? So it is something that, that is not something we have it in our chromosomes or in our bones. And I can also tell you a little anecdote with my children. When my son went to elementary school <laughs> in Maryland, and both, you know, and he grew up really without us discussing any racial issues for that matter in the house. And by the time he went to elementary school, I was in first grade. The day he came from the first grade class, we were itching to see and understand what the racial mix was like in his class. And so we're trying to ask him these questions without really bringing the word race in this mix. And, and so we're trying to say, you know, what are the kids like? What is their, what is their color kind of thing? You know, we, because he couldn't really get it. And, and at some point when we said, you know, what was their color? So he... He kind of paused and looked at us and he said, well, you know, some are black, some are brown, some are peach, some are white. So he, was, he started calling colors, yeah. which really, you know, simplifies the notion that, you know, race things really learned, right? So, so that is one. But that's a coming to the current situation. I think when you ask, you know, my perspectives right now, this is probably the last thing I want to talk about, right? Because I think we are all tired about this. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think it's exhausting. I think it's, um, it is just, of course, unacceptable. The first thing that comes to my mind is this is really, really tiring. It is tiring because it is something that is really, you know, doesn't go away. It has been present in so many different ways. You know, it can be present from the simple thing you find in a, you know, when you are in a department store, in a grocery store, to a place where you might be taking care of people and those very people you take care of your racial um, tones, to all the things that come systematically through you know, the environment where you work. And so it is a continuum. It's always there. It's always around. You always somehow get reminded from people, from the system, from, you know, your own organization. It's always around you. And so the simple word I think I have for that is, you know, it is really tiring. And I really also think it is sad that people think that this issue is, you know, people of color's issue only? No, it is a societal issue. Unless uh, this is seen as a black person, the white person, and everybody else, and the brown, everybody else, the community, the society, respond to this. Uh, it is not that one race is not going to solve this issue. And, you know, think about the gender issue. 
Are you going to solve a gender issue by only having women react to it? No, it's all of us, right? So, so I really do think the conversation has to be tiring for all of us. Mm-hmm. But, but unfortunately, most of the time the discussions seem like people are finding this new, as if this is something that was not there. And, or something that is old. And, and, and I don't know if people think that because Obama was elected president, that racial issues were, you know, gone. So, mm-hmm. so it is really perplexing to me that people are actually surprised or some, some feel, you know, exhausted too. But, but I think we are at a moment where this has to really pivot become everybody's problem. Yeah. And now it looks like more and more of the brown and uh, black people's problems. Yeah, I, I, speaking for myself, I think I was aware of the fact that we didn't live in an entirely just and equitable society. But I think I had really drawn a line between our racial present and our racial past in the sense that I think, in, you know, when I thought about American history, I thought, well, you know, the years from 1865 to 1968 were very bad racially, and then things got like dramatically better. And now most of that problem is in the past, and obviously we have issues and things to work on, but it is, you know, we're not where we were 40 to 100 years ago. But now I wonder more and more whether that's true. I, I think, you know, clearly this issue is, is a bigger issue I know than I had appreciated and I, I've certainly been learning so much and having my eyes open. I can only imagine how frustrating it is to sort of know that this exists and then have all these people sort of, if not freshly discovering it, but sort of realizing the, the scope of the problem that you've known is a problem for, for a long time. No, you see the, the what you just mentioned is actually the biggest problem. The fact that you know people compartmentalize and say you know, up to this time, up to this time, and, you know. So I think people need to think that for the blacks and browns, this thing has never gone away. It is never gone away. So it is not the past. It is in the present. And so this is where I think that revisiting and looking, understanding and learning a little bit deeper, and also looking back into our own biases and looking back into and reading, getting some historical perspectives, understanding, you know, what is really happening now. The discrimination, you don't have like a gauge, right? It's, it can't be, oh, it's only 10% or it is, or it is 90% or 80%. Whenever it is, the discrimination is discrimination. So whenever it happens, it is 100%. So that notion of, oh, it has gotten better, doesn't mean make it of the past. It is still there. And so I think that is where the real conversation has to be. And that is where the realization, it is right here. It's always here. It has never gone away. Yeah. Is probably the attitude and the mindset everybody should have. Yeah, I and mean, I guess, right, we don't, you don't talk about people having 10% cancer, right? I mean, it's, you either have it or you don't. That's such a great analogy. And I think I've been thinking a lot about the, William Faulkner, who um, has that great quote, 
you know, the past isn't dead. It isn't even past. And I, I think that's becoming like really coming home to me with all of this. The past is really present. The past is present, right? We are living, we're living in the past. Right. So the yeah. past is still present. So you, therefore, we cannot say the past because it is happening now. So right. it has never gone away. So that is a perspective I think a lot of people miss. Mm -hmm. And that's where sometimes that misunderstanding or that surprise comes from. I know before the pandemic and before the protests, this was something that we as a department were already starting to, to face and look at. We had had a, a, a scheduled session to talk about diversity and inclusion and, and specifically the experience of people of color in our department interacting with patients that you have been very involved with. And, and you've also been involved, I know, with the American College of Surgeons. So both at sort of the micro level, you know, the microaggressions that our attendings and residents and other staff here are, are experiencing, all the way up to sort of the institutional body of surgery and, and how they're trying to address these things, even much predating the current unrest. Can you talk a little bit about your roles both here and on surgery writ large? No, sure, absolutely. So, so I think, you know, as we mentioned, you know, earlier, you know, we live in the past kind of thing, you know, because the past is here. So the issues of care and as physicians, as nurses, as you know, healthcare professionals, we have everything around patient-centered, right? So we say patient comes first, we do everything we want, you know, we should do for the patients. And I can tell you, you know, and as a physician, of course, we are healers and we have to pay attention to patients and take, make sure we provide them the best care we can. You know, however, there are also patients who, you know, despite all the attention, the care you provide them, show you, you know, bigoted attitudes and sometimes right in your face. And there are really no systematic for organizational ways of protecting black and brown or minority individuals that are taking care of patients from all this different discrimination that happens. It's not only color, you know, you can, you know, it's, it's, it's all, you know, it's a sexual orientation, it's, it's a language, it's, you name it. Mm -hmm. And so, so the organization has really no ways of, you know, there's no policy. They can come, somebody can come and say, you know, why am I seeing you? Is there, there is no, <laughs> you know, white doctor or something? You know, those things happen. Wow. And so it is, it is something that, you know, is really difficult to fathom, but it's a reality. Mm -hmm. And it's a reality, and in 2020, you know, we don't have a policy in place to say this is wrong, and we, you know, we don't accept this kind of treatment of our physicians and nurses and, you know, health workers in general. And so I think the organization is working on that now yeah. to put a policy in place. And, and, and the reason I, I got involved partly was because, as you know, there are patient satisfaction surveys that happens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those surveys are really good when it comes to yeah, assessing objectively that we are doing the right thing for our patients. However, on those surveys, you can also clearly see 
biases for patients when it comes to black and brown population or, you know, people who are, you know, different sexual orientations and so forth. So, so that was really what I saw, particularly in my evaluations, where I would see the same room where I see patients for room cleanliness, I get 20 to 30 points less than my white surgeon colleague. Wow. So how are you going wow. to explain that other than saying this is discrimination? It's, this is a bias that shows up in this in these surveys. Yeah. And so my involvement was bringing that to show to our leadership in our department. And of course, the leadership did not really realize this was the case. And once this was brought up and uh, it was elevated appropriately and, and clearly responded to by at least, you know, yes, the service probably go, but I don't see them anymore. And if I don't see them, you know, I'm not always reminded that my clinic room is dirtier than the other physician's clinic room when it is not. Yeah. And, you know, cleanliness is one of those words that has been used right. for years and years when it comes to color. So those are the, the little things that can be considered as macroaggression for a few people, but they are reminders every time that survey comes at the end of the month for me, I see I'm being told I'm inferior because my room is not as clean or I did not articulate whatever. Thing. So wow. that is how my involvement started. And, you know, interestingly, this is true across the entire country. It is not something that happens here only. It is across the country. So that's one. The second piece is, as an organization or as a medical school or as the, you know, just a simple unit, the hospital, if you don't look like your community, it's a problem. And, you know, and we don't look like our community. Right. So we just need to work harder to make sure we kind of try to look like our community so that people's trust and those who may feel not represented feel represented and feel that this is also their house and feel that they will be taken care of and so on and so forth. So those are the dialogues and the conversations that we are having and you know you know we are really great leadership and I think these are all things that we'll find an answer I think because as you know as an organization as a department or as a, as a medical school or at the UW Health you know there's a lot of things we do and I know when our leaders say we want to do this they do it and I think I think these are problems that will be solved and addressed and I really yeah, it is, it is. It's so remarkable. I mean, it, it finds its way into everything. I mean, it's it's right. You think about these sort of, you know, patients saying, I don't want a black doctor as sort of like the classic example of, 
sort of what I think of as like racial discrimination in healthcare. And but I, 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 it never occurred to me that like it finds its way into the room cleanliness evaluations in a systematic way. I mean, how it's everywhere, right? It's it's in everything. Um, it's everywhere. Yeah. So why the past is still here, right? So, so it's really never ended, and and so that notion. That notion needs to be said again and again, and I really do think uh, some uh, both active and passive education needs to happen. I really do think people need to read a little bit more about some of the historical things that are out there to really understand, you know, how how did we get here, and what is happening right now. Just think. Think, for example, you know, even around where you are, how do recruitments happen? How, how do you know, who do you call? You call who you know. You don't really think about you know, the society as a, the community as a whole. So those practices which may on surface look normal and on surface look common are filled with practices that really perpetuate yeah, I hear a lot now. You know this this notion that right, it's not enough to not be racist. Right, you have to be anti-racist. You have to be proactive about identifying these problems and and looking in your own systems and and looking for guidance to have these you know things that would never necessarily occur to you pointed out and 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 then address them. Be be thoughtful and and open to seeing and finding solutions to you know an infinite number of problems, it seems. So I'm so glad to have have you uh, as a guide um, in sort of seeing some of these things and, and despite what must be extraordinary fatigue uh, and having to point out how everything is touched by this, uh, I really appreciate your patience and um, at least helping, helping me and our listeners down that road. Yeah, no, I, and you know, I think, I think uh, we have to collectively think that this is, our collective problem, mm-hmm. and unless you know we think it that way, it is not going to go away. Unless people think that this is not an old problem, it is actually it's a current problem, and it has never gone away. You know, it will still remain with us. So, so I think our thinking has to change. I think what was being done up to now, evidently is not enough. Evidently, it has not been working. It doesn't mean having having a diversity and equity initiative, just having that doesn't mean the problem is going to be solved. But then the next question is, what do they do? Uh, do they have enough resources? And, you know, what do we want them to do? What do they... So I think all that kind of conversation needs to kind of revisit it from, uh, you know, again to make this different than the status quo. One last question before we go. You know, for people who are, are just starting down this road, whose eyes have been opened by recent events to sort of realize the scope of the problem, where, where do you start? Are there readings you recommend? Are there first conversations people should be having in their institutions? What's, what's step one of a million here? Well, you know, I really do think people you know, need to examine a little bit thoroughly about their own biases. Just be honest with how their biases might have been influenced from how they grew up, how they behaved and worked and lived in school, 
how the work environment they have it influences the way they think. I mean, I really do think all of us are somehow affected by, by that. And I think a thorough, you know, thinking of that is important. Uh, I really do think that might be supplemented by, you know, reading some books, some historical books, and looking at movies. You know, just, there's one recent movie, Just Mercy, I don't know if you have seen it. Mm. Uh, just, just look at that movie and see, you know, the amount of injustice that's out there. This is not too long ago. It's just, and I'm sure it still happens. And so there is plenty of those kind of movies that are out there. I really do think if, you, if somebody reads the book, you know, The Soul of Black Folks by the boss, it you will, you will see how there is still parallel between, you know, the beginning of the 20th century and now. I mean, this is over 100 years. And so I really do think if people get a little bit more active information by reading through some of those historical books and looking at some of the you know, documentaries and some of these movies that are out there, uh, I think a lot of the perspective may change and the parallel between the past is present may actually consolidate that mindset. I don't think anybody wants that kind of, in, individually speaking, that's not what it is, but the collective action is what is so visible and it's so discriminatory and unfair. And I think it's very easy to see it, uh, but one has to open up to really interrogate oneself and look us a little bit inside, honestly, and check their own biases. That's my initial advice. Fantastic. Well, I'll do my best. And thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us. Thank you for helping to explore this issue for the first time on this podcast, but uh, certainly not the last. I think this is something that we want to keep talking about with you, with others, you know, though our eyes may be opened later than they should have been. I, I think we, we should take advantage of, of this moment and this energy to, to try to really make some dramatic, massive improvements in our society. And thank you for having me as well. I think, you know, more than the talking, the discussion, probably if all of us think about the one thing or the two actionable things we want to do is I think it's a, it is that time of it, that kind of a time now. Mm -hmm. So I think from thoughts to actions is probably where we have to pivot and we have to do that together. And I think our uh, bystander training that we had in our department is a beginning and hopefully that could take us to the next step where we feel closer, where we feel, you know, that we support each other and we take care of each other's back. And, and I think we can probably learn specific things that we can take action on and show it so that uh, we can continue to build that bridge. We'll have links to the book and movie that Dr. Tefera suggests as a starting point in the show notes. And we'll continue to come back to this story in the coming weeks, even as we start to bring back episodes of the podcast that aren't breaking news for a change. For now, here's a short passage by W.E.B. Dubois that feels right for the moment. 
Now is the accepted time, not tomorrow, not some more convenient season. It is today that our best work can be done, and not some future day or future year. It is today that we fit ourselves for the greater usefulness of tomorrow. Today is the seed time. Now are the hours of work, and tomorrow comes the harvest and the playtime. If you have an experience with COVID-19 you'd like to share or a question you want answered on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on Twitter at J.E. Kohler. That's K-O-H-L-E-R. You can also send us an email at podcast at surgery.wisc.edu. If you want to hear about something other than COVID-19, our regular program is focused on the latest innovations in surgery, including interviews with the pioneers at its cutting edge. If you're new here, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Give our Facebook page a like and follow us on Twitter at Whisk Surgery. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Bonnie Farber, J.P. Swenson, and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was edited by J.P. Swenson. Special thanks to Nicole Jennings, Rebecca Minter, and everyone else in our department pulling together during this adventure. Until next time, be well and stay in touch, friends. Remember, you can't stop the clock. This too shall pass.